Let's stay in Wellington and have a chat with Colin Peacock for Midweek Media Watch. Hi, Colin. Hi, Karen. Do you cycle? Uh, yeah, a lot. I don't have a car, so uh, yep, I, I cycle pretty much everywhere I need to go on my own. If I need a car, I have to go and drop it on my mum and dad and borrow theirs. Oh, that's nice of them. <laughs> yeah, it is. They're pretty. Um, they're pretty compliant. When I but, <laughs> compliant. Yeah. Well, they they tend to agree to my request, but um, that that I, they probably know that. Uh, in fact, they might be listening right now, so I better be careful what I say. But I tend to take them for granted a little bit. But if I give them a bit of notice and say, "Can I borrow the car?" Uh, they generally let me, and uh, we pop round, have a cup of tea, catch up, and then I steal their car. What kind of car have they got? Just out of interest, it's a little Toyota thing. Um, a what's the market? Oh, Yaris. It's called a Yaris. So a little car. But I've got three kids now who are um, approaching. Well, most of them are teenagers. One is almost. And uh, they're getting less and less happy with all being mashed up together in the back. But I say, look, be grateful for what you've got. Um, <laughs> it, it's all down to the kindness of my parents. And I have to say that because every chance they're listening. So there, there we go. Oh, that's a wonderful thing to say. Righto, <laughs> let's get on to Midweek Media Watch. Uh, not so wonderful in terms of Guy and Espinar and Matt Shand. Yeah, um, in fact, I had the pleasure of being Jim Mora uh, on Sunday uh, for the Sunday morning program. And... Um, Talking to Sinead Boucher, who's the chief executive of Stuff, uh, who, of course, is the employer of Matt Shand, the, the Stuff reporter who was photographed uh, along with Guy and Espiner, or actually in, on separate occasions, uh, meeting this fellow, Lester Gray, the former uh, president of the New Zealand First Party. And both of them, of course, had been reporting on uh, the New Zealand First Foundation and the donations that had uh, received uh, from people connected with uh, wealthy business people um, and the racing industry and so on. So all those stories have been out in the last few days. I'm sure people would have caught up with some of those. And actually, she was she was very strong on this. I have figured, you know, when I asked, invited her to say, how concerned are you by this and the fact that Winston Peters, you'll remember, had um, had, had blurted out on, on the magic talk station, uh, we took those photos and then later rolled it back. He went on Twitter and said, look, it was a supporter. Uh, we got the pictures uh, from a supporter and we are not surveilling any journalists. Um, don't get so upset about it. But she was upset and stronger than, than I expected. She, in fact, said, I just listened back to it a moment ago, uh, you know, we are we are surprised the Deputy Prime Minister would have his fingers in such grubby business. And she said he has a long record of belittling and trying to undermine the media. Um, so, yeah, no, no love lost there, although they don't plan to take it any further formally at this stage. Well, their own business is pretty grubby, though, isn't it? <laughs> I suppose so. Yeah, there's p- part of that. Uh, but I mean, th- this is the interesting thing. While I was on the air doing that interview with her, <clears throat> if you go back and check the texts that were coming in from RNZ National listeners, uh, they were almost all, with I think just one exception, saying, oh, journalists are too precious. They go around bothering people, pursuing them in public places. How can they be so upset if someone takes a photograph of them? But, I mean, has, as has been pointed out by people like Gavin Ellis, for example, on the Nine to Noon programme, the former editor-in-chief of the New Zealand Herald, talking to Catherine Ryan last Tuesday, he said, this is about sources. Uh, they don't want to be photographed. If they're dealing with journalists and having legitimate conversations and exchanges of information uh, as part of legitimate journalism, uh, they have the right to expect that journalists journalists can keep that confidential. So if journalists are being pursued and surveilled in this way, uh, it is pretty bad. And the, the only incident I could think of that was similar to this 
where, where a journalist having called out and photographs them had been published was um, seven years ago. It happened to Matt Nippet when he worked for uh, the Sunday Star Times, so again, a, an employee of, of Stuff, and that was taken fairly seriously at the time as well. So, yeah, it doesn't happen often, uh, but it's, it's, it's really not good when it happens. Um, <clears throat> but there's, of all the audio and all the interviews that have been done about this, there's a little piece I wanted to play you. Um, this is This Morning on News Talk ZB, and it's New Zealand First MP Shane Jones who was backing up its leader. Here's part of what he had to say on the News Talk ZB Mike Hosking Breakfast Show. Is, uh, it's, it's driven by a sense of hysteria coming out of Radio New Zealand. Um, I, I heard somewhere that you're thinking of leaving Auckland. I, I, <laughs> I hope you don't leave. For example, this is an election year, and I'd rather hear more from uh, Mike Hoskins and less from... That guy in Espinar, I just think the whole issue about the photo has been blown completely out of proportion. Well, yeah, interesting, isn't it? I mean, I think what he's doing there is kind of playing to the gallery in a sense. That's actually a reference to Mike Hosking having having written a column for the Herald and said on News Talk ZB, I'm fed up with all the roadworks around central Auckland. Uh, I can't get to the hairdresser. Uh, I think he quite literally <laughs> said. So he was fed up with the road cones and he had a whine about it, did a Herald column. And the Herald and ZB, you know, all part of the same media stable, have been milking that for clicks and engagement and so on. Um, Phil Goff, the Auckland mayor, responded by saying... Um, you know, good luck to him. Why doesn't he move town? I'd I'd be happy about that. I guess no love lost between the two of them. A lot of people responding in that way. But there, Shane Jones um, really picking up on them, saying, well, we like you, Mike. Don't like RNZ much. And we know Mike Hosking doesn't either. Uh, but, you know, to call RNZ's stories, you know, hysteria... Um, I don't think he would have said those things had he been interviewed on RNZ National or perhaps any other outlet. Well, the big question is, where does Mike Hosking get his hair done, I suppose? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if, if you want that style, you're welcome to copy it. But yes. Shane Jones actually had more, Karen. He, he, uh, Mike, to his credit, Mike Hosking didn't go with that little piece of attempted flattery. And he continued to press Jones on that issue of uh, the photographs and how it wasn't a good look for his party. And here's, um, here's another thing he went on to say that I found interesting. The reality is that some member of the public apparently took a video or a photo. They recognised uh, the former president of New Zealand First to suggest that it's some Maxwell Smart uh, conspiracy, I think speaks volumes about these uh, a certain culture within the Radio New Zealand, and uh, I've had enough of witnessing them, quite frankly, from the public breast. What did that man say? Uh, he said, uh, I've had enough, quite frankly, of nursing them, Radio New Zealand, RNZ, uh, from the public breast. Now, this That's is very graphic, isn't it? Well, it is. I mean, but the, the Shane, Shane Jones tends to be, um, what's the, what's a nice way of putting it, florid in his, um, in his uh, adjectives and his vocabulary. But, I mean, that, what he's saying there, he's telling, you know, look, you and me, Mike, we don't like RNZ. And what I'm, you know, I said, I'm sick of them. Uh, wet nursing them. This, the, he seems to be hinting there. Look, we've got power over them, and they have to be careful because they depend upon you know the public and taxpayers' money and so on. He's kind of hinting there that he's in control of it. I mean, what he's really doing is just venting. It's just words. He's playing to the gallery for News Talk ZB and playing up to Mike Hosking, I think, in that little encounter. But you know, if you were to transcribe that and look at it in the cold light of day, that seems to be a politician who's throwing his weight around and reminding a publicly funded outlet that uh, you know politicians are in charge of where the money goes in the end. And uh, you know, But to describe himself as, as the wet nurse of RNZ and its um, supply of nutrients from the public coffers, uh, I 
I think is over the top and he shouldn't really be saying it. I can imagine it though, can't mm. you? Uh, <laughs> Who well, would be suckling that teat though? Uh, yeah, I, d- I don't know, but I, I, well, perhaps the, the most disturbing thing about that would be Shane Jones in his nurse's uniform sitting there watching it happen. But no, let, let's, not, <laughs> let's not go there. But, you know, all he of had this, to pay for that. Yeah. The, the, the thing is also that what's winding up some journalists, and again this has been pointed to by others in their commentary, is just before Christmas... Uh, when everybody was waiting to see if the government would announce this um, public media policy, public broadcasting policy everyone was expecting, and it didn't happen in the end. Uh, Winston Peters called all the press gallery, all the reporters to the Beehive Theatre and made this big announcement to say he was backing the government's plans to strengthen public media, which at that point weren't out. So he wanted to get his identity all over this. And he gave quite a long talk to them where he said that, you know, it was really important that uh, there's a fourth estate that speaks truth to power and they face big challenges in the modern digital economy and he recognised all that and he was on side with it. So a very earnest, grave speech that he gave about threats to the future of the news media in this country. And now, I mean, we, just a matter of weeks later, um, no surprise, I guess, to people who know his track record of turning on the media when uh, they have turned their spotlight on his, him and his party. But, um, I mean, this is completely contradictory to the sort of things he's saying. And he's not really fully answering journalist questions. Uh, he's taking to Twitter and Facebook and so on. In fact, one of his tweets, he said, all this is... Um, he described it as Wellington bulldust, and he said the media party, in quotes, uh, outraged because someone, uh, not us, did to them what they do to others all the time. Corporal Jones was right, they don't like it up him, which is you know, reference to Dad's Army, which is what, you know, f- more than 40 years old TV comedy. Um, so, yeah, this, this concept of trying to tell his social media followers that the media are some sort of politically driven block that is against him and his party uh, is what he's up to there. And a new way for journalists to gather data. Yeah, th- this was an interesting one. This is um, the Herald on Sunday had a story that I saw on the day and didn't think much of at the time, really. It was um, the headline on it, Cash Grab, Cops Seize Property Worth Millions Over Health and Safety Breaches. And it was um, about a terrible accident that happened about five years ago in, um, in Woody in South Auckland. Uh, it was a guy called Jamie Lee Bowring. Um, I think I pronounced that right, Bowring, Bowring. Uh, who died, he was welding a tank, a big steel tank that happened to be full of, um, I think, petrol and diesel, and it exploded uh, horribly and and killed him. And the director of the company who'd engaged him to do this, uh, a guy called Ron Salter, uh, was sentenced to home detention and fined $400,000 for health and safety breaches uh, that in court were described as on a par with Pike River. So, you know, pretty serious. And um, what happened, the story said that this workplace fatality had seen police use a law usually associated with drugs and organised crime to seize millions of dollars in assets uh, because of this health and safety breach. Um, And they said this was a bit of a legal first, that the High Court document showed they'd used, it's the... um, the law that I think they often use when uh, perhaps people who've been drug dealing or had some sort of criminal enterprise get found out, their assets can be recovered and used to sort of mitigate the damage. So the Criminal Proceeds Recovery Act had been used, but for the first time, says the Herald on Sunday, they'd used its powers to actually uh, kind of get, get revenue from a legitimate business that this guy happened to be running. Um, but you know, the workplace fatality was a criminal affair, so they used it in that way. 
Um, but I didn't think a whole lot about it until I saw a tweet from Keith Ng, who's the data journalist at the Herald and all-round uh, clever journalist. And um, he said that what he'd done was written, the story actually came from him writing a script. He said that finds every property that the cops put a freeze on in the previous week, and that's how they found the story. Um, and I was intrigued by that. I was thinking, well, how does one link to the other? So I gave him a call today. And he said what happens is when the police put a freeze on a property for this purpose, land information New Zealand is informed so people can't sell the house or try and buy it or destroy it or something odd like that. And he's written an automated program, I I hope I'm describing this right, that takes in that information, automatically identifies the uh, beneficial owner of the property, which is all registered in public information. And that then is sent as an automatic email to Herald investigative reporters who can then check it against you know existing stories and things in the news. And so in this case, the guy's name was there, Mr. Salter, and it came up, this case had been in court. So they were able to um, connect the two things. It was in retrospect, though, wasn't it? Because Ron Salter, he was sentenced in 2017. Yeah, that's right. But they hadn't worked out that this act was being used to recover, to, yeah, to recover some of the money. Um, and so he, he, I mean, the interview as they appeared in the paper, you'd be torn a bit, really, because you look at it and think, well, it's a horrible tragedy. And you know, indirectly, I mean, yes, it was health and safety breaches, um, but you know, the death had affected him and his family. And now, you know, the the house, the batch, um, the business, uh, all this was being used. Um, is, is uh, and these assets being frozen in order to uh, to retrieve the money? Um, but yeah, Keith's um, Keith's description of it on Twitter was he, he described it as like a police scanner or like my food bag. Uh, but instead of um, delivering that stuff, it delivers you know the details of people who were mo- in most cases not in this case, but in most cases would be up to no good with a criminal business and sends them to a reporter's inbox to check against um, previous stories to see if they might have a, an interesting update. Well, you've got quite a focus on News Talk ZB tonight and a story about Jack Tame and another one about Mike Hosking. Which one would you like to go with? Um, <laughs> well, the only uh, well, the Jack Tame one was interesting because what, what this was about was uh, he did an interview. He's back on television because the Q&A program has returned. Actually, um, that's on TBNZ1, so the weekly politics program. Um, should have been back by now by rights because the political year is underway, but um, they're funded for a certain number of episodes a year for, from New Zealand on air. Uh, a couple of years ago, TBNZ made a shift and said, look, we're taking politics seriously. They put it on prime time uh, on Sunday and got quite decent audiences um, uh, for last year's uh, run of the show. Uh, now it's back on that Sunday morning slot where it's not very much watched, the non-commercial hours of TV1. And some people have queried this, but I think um, after I think after Easter, I hope I've got that right, but uh, there's a couple of weeks, a few weeks that they're going to run on Sunday morning and then it will be back for election year on that uh, that Sunday night um, primetime slot. But I guess to um, maybe promote that a little, he was being interviewed on News Talk ZB by... Um, Phil Gifford and Simon Barnett, and they were asking him about a whole bunch of stuff. And he revealed in that that um, he'd taken on the job of Q&A because doing the breakfast show, the TVNZ breakfast show, he said was affecting his health. Uh, and I just saw the quotes on the ZB website. He was saying it's a, it's a brutal, brutal life, um, waking up at 3.30 every morning and having to be perky and bright every day. And I thought, oh, come on, there are a lot of people that have to work crummy hours uh, in the news business. And, uh, you know, when I when I hear people say this, I'm, generally it sets me back a bit. But he, he went on, uh, I changed my mind a bit when I listened to the interview, and he went on to, to say this. But I felt like um, it was having a 
a negative impact on my health. And by that, I just yeah. mean like I felt like I was aging three days every day that I woke up. Like I, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm a young man and is relatively young man in his 30s. You know, I, I, I want to be socializing and dating and have a good work-life balance and all that sort of thing. And I'm aware that, you know, I'm fortunate to have had some incredible jobs already, but I want a career that, that goes for decades. And, and, and I, you know, I don't want to be 35 and completely burnt, burnt out. out. Hmm. So there, it's good that he said that, I think, because we've seen other instances of reporters, you know, prominent TV sort of front people like, um, for example, Patrick Gower, uh, Duncan Garner. They've both said, you know, doing that job of political editor on television was very high profile. Both said that it really, you know, damaged their health. It, 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 it had a real huge impact on their life and they did it too long. They had to get out of it. So uh, perhaps it's good in a way that he says, I want to have a lengthy career. He wants to stay in the media and not be burnt out. And he's, and he's recognised that. Um, but, you know, in a sense, I'm thinking I wouldn't want to do that either. Imagine trying to get up at three o'clock, five days a week and then being in front of a camera under those bright lights in a TV studio. I think we should allow those people to look probably like the audience does at home you know why forget trying to be perky and <laughs> pajamas yeah why not or you know slouch in the chair i don't care they shouldn't put on the makeup they probably look more like the people at home i wonder if, if people would mind it's a very unnatural hour to get up at three <laughs> o'clock in the morning it's not normal and a lot of people do shift work of course and it really does affect their health when they're doing night shifts like that especially that what you'd really call that mid-dawn shift you know where you're it's it's not right for a human to be awake at that time well i think the worst ones i used to do were 5 p.m to 5 a.m and there were strings of four of those in a row and then you had three days off and the three days off you felt terrible. So look, I, I feel for him, I don't want to make light of it, but like I say, there are plenty of people who might read that and say, well, here's the, the well-paid and well-publicised front guy um, saying, you know, I, I didn't want to do this anymore after two and a half years and there were a lot of people that probably would want that job. But yeah, that's the thing. It's, I think it's that thing of being under lights and vision. Um, you can drag yourself out of bed and sit in front of a microphone um, and, and, and I think that's a lot easier without people looking looking at you. Uh, so I think that's what I think we, I, I want to see realistic breakfast show people with, with people who look like the audience that they've just got out of bed. There used to be, um, in fact, a guy, uh, I think his name was Clive Robertson in Australia, who was popular and kind of refused to, you know, sit upright and do that um, projecting presenter thing. He slouched in his chair, he mumbled, and he was allowed sometimes to present um, little news slots within his show of actual news bulletins and read them himself just as he felt like it. And it was pretty funny. In fact, the, the one I remember was where they put up a pixelated image of someone. And when the image cut out as he was reading the story about someone who's obviously been involved in something criminal, as the camera came back to him, he was slouched in his chair but peering into the camera, squinting with his eyes. And he told the audience, um, you know, I think if you know when they do that, when they block out people's faces, if you just squint a bit, just squint, and you can pretty much work out who it is. And say, boys, can we run that one again? He said, run the picture again. Are you at home? Just squint at it. And uh, so he was improvising. And I think they should be allowed to uh, to do that on television and, and not have to pretend that they've um, you know they've just walked out, walked out of makeup and a fresh shower and they're ready to go. Well, the audience might like that, but I'm not sure that television executives would have the imagination to implement it, Colin. <laughs> but hey, thank you very much. No worries. Talk to you soon. Sure thing. It's Colin Peacock. He'll be back in two weeks' time.